Blog Talk Radio. Uh, template that we provided them in our 2011 agreement. 
Uh, there's a whole lot of things they could do other than hurt people, and they just don't seem to want to do it. Every every that's every cruel, that's a cruel budget. Every everyone that I talk to well is said. upset. I don't care whether they're Republicans or Democrats. Right, or right. They I've never seen really anything get... like it. I've no. never actually seen people across the political divide uh, basically saying the same thing, which is uh, this sucks. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I've, I've labeled it Malloy's austerity budget. And, you know, that's what it is. It's trying all of a sudden he's decided to, um, you know, starve government. He's, uh, um, and that's uh, yeah, not a healthy prescription for the economy. You know, having more layoffs, more service cuts. Um, now, keep in mind, these people are going to gather sometime next week for a special session. And um, there's a whole lot of damage yeah. that can be done then. Scott Walker's clone or what? Well, yeah, you know, it, uh, who am I to say not? Huh? Who am I to say not? <laughs> you know, um, I'm because really that's, because that's our union threw their weight behind him. We did. Um, we did. I, You know, I can't deny that. But, um, you know, at the time, we certainly looked at the, uh, uh, you know, we have a member-driven um, process. Um, we and our members were strongly behind that endorsement because at the time he was uh, espousing uh, many of the same beliefs that we held about how to improve the economy for working families. And he was running against the billionaire Tom Foley who didn't pay a dime in taxes um, when he was running for governor. So I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not big on the rearview mirror stuff. All you can do is learn from it. And I'm not going to second guess what we did. Um, I, this is clearly a guy who just decided to turn his back on the values and the, um, that he believed in and the people who helped get him there. And nobody can account for that. I've got to. We've we got to ask you one question about because we don't understand very well. And I and from what what we can gather, not too many people really do. Is is the uh, this uh, uh, ad that we see continually on on television lately about uh, the hospitals being double-taxed or triple-taxed or 30 mm -hmm, times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where, where does this come from and why? What, what, what is it all about? What is it all about that, that he's taking away? Well, it's actually an example. The Connecticut Hospital Association is a powerful lobby representing, you know, primarily for-profit hospitals. And yeah. so they're um, essentially, you know, lobbying for or lobbying against um, uh cuts in aid to hospitals, but, you know, the, the, again, they're for-profit corporations. Their CEOs are making a ton of money, and, you know, a lot of what they're doing is being conditioned on all of these mergers that have been taking place, and they've been absorbing smaller nonprofits yep. and starting to ration out services, charge higher prices, but they've had this effective campaign um, that quite frankly, you know, organized labor should take a, a, a page out of because, you know, they have these ads with, you know, mothers and sick kids saying, you know, don't cut uh, money that the hospitals need. And I've talked to a load of legislators that who, who have said that that was a very effective campaign because it generated a ton of calls. And yeah, as much yeah, as the big yeah, lobbying, yeah. but, you know, again, it was a big lobbying group, a powerful corporate lobby, you know, behind the campaign, but it made it, the campaign seem like it was the little person, you know, uh, begging for help. Yeah, yeah, I mean, why didn't we, you would have thought that the that the uh, that the um, uh, that the governor uh, would have would have 
put out some kind of an ad response or a, a response it. to that. But instead, uh, that ad it just, yeah, it just confuses the entire... Uh, uh, everything coming out of his office is confusing at this point. Um, you know, the bottom line is they ran a very... And he, they, in subsequent budgets, they provided more money to the... Um, um, uh, hospitals. So again, it's you know it's a powerful corporate lobby that uh, has uh, has quite frankly been very effective in uh, trying to get the piece of the pie. Because you know when you talk to everybody, they don't understand it, and they feel like, gee, what's going to happen when we go to the hospital? That's what everybody says. Gee, what's going to mm-hmm. happen? Are we going to uh, we going to get treated? More, are we going to be Medicare, Medicaid, all yeah, people stuff get very ups- very upset about that. Yeah. And, right, which um, is interesting, you know, and they're seizing, yeah, and they're they're very effective at seizing on those fears, playing yeah. on them. Yeah, the other thing I don't understand about about the, the I mean, I I don't understand Malloy's attitude. I mean, it's like take it and shove it, or or you know, that's it. That that's the attitude you get, as or from what from what we see in the media. But I mean, what we're what we we don't understand is why he hasn't explained himself, okay, in in, in, a, in a greater in a bigger way, what 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 he's what doing. What his thinking is. Yeah. You know what? You you'd have to be um you'd have to be a psychoanalyst to get behind what he's thinking. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You know he he's smart enough to understand that he's got a fairly dysfunctional legislature. Um, the Republicans are in the minority. Uh, the Democrats are not particularly strong-willed, and um, he's basically said, "It's my game. I'm just playing. You're going to play by the Malloy rules." And they've, you know, by and large, they seem to have gone along. And um, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a, a scary dynamic to watch, but it's exactly what's been happening. You're right. How did you get? How did how did they get him to uh, hold off on things? Well, I, it wasn't that they got them to hold off on things. They were having budget deliberations through this afternoon or inside um, debate about the budget. Uh, he proposed a budget with uh, something like $900 million in cuts. They've been trying to counter with a similar budget, so he forced the hands of the legislature, and they just could not find uh, a common ground. So that's why they're calling for a special session to revisit the budget. And it's going. I mean, look, it's going to be ugly. Whatever happens, it's going to be. I mean, we're talking about. You mentioned before about particular agencies. Um, there are also significant cuts in aid to cities and towns, and uh, pertinent to what Lila uh, represents, um, deep cuts in education cost sharing money to the municipality. So I think many, many. All right. of our towns out here got zero. The town I work right. in got a small right. amount. Yes, your region, I mean, um, your region, and, and so your region stands to, and that's essentially a law. If you don't get anything, your expenses are increasing for special ed and other uh, right. important services. You're essentially taking a loss. So the next budget will have more cuts in education uh, cost-sharing money. So, um, you know, this thing is really designed, it's, it seems like they're just trying to punish everyone instead of doing the right thing. Well, the thing that I don't understand, you lay off all these workers, um, there aren't a lot of jobs to get to replace the ones that they don't have, and nope. then they won't be able to pay their mortgages, and they won't have any money to put in the economy. It, it's just not a wise move. Uh, it, it's it, it's counterintuitive. It, it it runs against um, every bit of common sense. 
So if you lay off, now they've already laid off about 770 or so state workers, more than half of them, AFSCME members. Um, if this budget had gone through the the you know the the ballparking was you know four thousand to five thousand more layoffs possibly, um, you know you don't have to do a whole lot of math here to figure out you put that many people out on the street with no jobs, they're not paying taxes for a short while, they'll collect unemployment and have to access other social welfare programs potentially, um, but you 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 you've taken money in spending power, consumer spending power, out of the community. Not only that, um, economists, uh, the Comptroller of Connecticut recently gave a speech in which he said, you know, public sector layoffs will lead, you know, each public sector layoff could trigger another uh, one and a half layoffs in the private sector. So you're absolutely right. Don't, I mean, I, I think our problem is, is because we're good people looking for honest solutions to really deep fundamental problems. and, and um, uh, the folks up at the Capitol um, aren't doing that. You know, they're they're really instead of doing the right thing, they're just looking to cut, and you can't cut your way out of a deficit or an economic oh, crisis. You uh, you've got yeah, to trigger spending, right? Spiraling down effect. I mean, so your region, you know, you know, region one schools um, get less money and lay off paraprofessionals. Um, how does that oh. help? You know. Uh, and that's what I'm saying. It's not just state employees who are going to suffer. Yes, our, our state employee members are getting laid off, but um, you know, the aid to cities, cities and towns are getting less. They're going to turn around and say, "Well, we have to have two less plow uh, guys on the plow in the winter storms. We have to have five less paraprofessionals helping um, special needs children." Um, so there's going to be more unemployment, more misery, fewer services. Uh, so it's a real downward spiral. Oh, it's terrible. Do you think, um, is there any will at all to stop this, do you think? Is there any leader in that legislature? I see pockets of leadership, but um, I don't see enough of it to, you know, the, the governor does call the shots. And, um, it's you know, the Republicans are pretty crass and um, cynical about what they want to accomplish. Um, Malloy is almost more in line with some of their thinking than he is with um to the Democrats, and, um, you know, I think the uh, Democrats are definitely afraid of doing anything that has a, a tax, the word tax involved with it. So, you know, raising revenue by restoring taxes on the wealthy of big corporations is not the agenda. And, you know, we've tried to come up with solutions. Um, there's uh, a lot of savings to be had from fully implementing our concession agreement. They didn't do that, and that's one of the reasons why we don't want to reopen that agreement. Um, there are there's hundreds of there's um, upwards of probably of a hundred million dollars in uncollected uh, tax revenues from big and small companies because they laid off auditors and don't have the resources to collect that money. Um, they haven't um, done anything to stop all the reckless outsourcing they've done. You know you've read about that um, debacle with the Department of Motor Vehicles that cost taxpayers 26 million. Our members said that was going to be a disaster. It failed in other states. They didn't listen. They went ahead, hired 3M, and things are worse now at motor vehicles. So it's hard to be sympathetic when you know we've offered some alternatives, and they just simply um, uh, the Republicans generally hate government, and the Democrats are afraid to do what's right. So it's a, kind of a bad combination. Yeah, are there, are there any layoffs targeted for uh, DMV? 
Um, I would say there are because um, at some point, you know, they're going to start hitting other agencies, but we haven't heard any specific. All we know is what we've seen, which have been um, primarily uh, Department of Corrections, Department of Children and Families, uh, Department of Social Services, Mental Health and Addiction Services, you know, people who provide direct care to the um, people with substance abuse with, uh, who are yeah. suffering from mental illness and developmental disabilities. You know, those are where the cuts have been. And as more agencies learn what they're getting in this new budget, then you're going to see a wave of layoffs um, unless something um, is done. And as you mentioned at the top of the show, the judicial branch, which is separate from executive branch, is going to lay off upwards of, uh, could lay off upwards of five, 600 people because Illinois is trying to cut their budget dramatically. And that includes closing courthouses, detention centers, um, you know, legal services that people need. You're going to look at, you're going to look at the legal system being bottled up, uh, the criminal justice system being bottled up uh, horribly if uh, they get their way. So I wish I could give you, you know, a brighter outlook, but that's, you know, right. that, that's what's going on. And this is, one thing that bothers me so much about this guy mm-hmm. is not, not, not only will he, will he not tax the wealthy and the corporations, but he gave uh, just what was it? Just a few months back, it was announced that he was giving every appointee a forty percent uh, raise. Yeah, he they pulled back on the non-union on the management raises. Um, they did. But what I oh. yeah, <laughs> it wasn't what just I, a, and it was a forty yeah. percent. It was they. He he was pushing to give them big. And there, there are a lot of people, by the way, in um, the so-called management circles who do some amazing work. I know some of them. I know many of them. So I don't want to just paint a broad brush. They just don't happen to belong to a bargain. You know, well, because, but they haven't been. Like I say, there are people who have been doing good work for the citizens and for the taxpayers who haven't gotten managers haven't gotten raises. And you know they've gotten. Uh, little to no raises over the last like dozen years. But my bigger issue when the layoffs started is that no political appointees got laid off, no managers got laid off. Um, you know, they're, they're really targeting, very few managers got laid off. So they're really targeting frontline workers who do the day-to-day work. Um, and they're not targeting, you know, all the political hacks who get appointed from Roland to Grell through Malloy. Um, you know, they're not uh, going after, like, the top-heavy bureaucracy. They're not thinning those ranks. Um, so it's, it's pretty hard to ask state employees, you know, unionized state employees to reach into their pockets and pay more when you're not asking for anything from anybody else. No, and we, we just, um, the budget, the last budget was balanced on the backs of state employees. Why do we, they have to continue to right. do this? And that's why our members, I, I'm, I'm actually, in a way, it's interesting when I, I talk to a lot of laid-off workers recently, and um, uh, as, as this, it's, you know, it's awful talking to them and hearing their pain. But at the same time, I've yet to hear from a laid-off member say, "Reopen that agreement." You know, they don't want to have a gun put to their heads and you know be extorted into doing something that won't make a difference anyway. Right. right. Oh boy, I think the thing that really annoys me about that legislature, you know, they cut. They come out and they say how concerned they are about addiction and what a horrible right. problem we have in this state. And then, of course, they cut all the services. Well, you know, they, uh, this is a awful story. The first wave of layoffs last month, um, they wiped out about 60 of our youth service officers at the juvenile training school in Middletown. 
And so now you have too few um, YSOs working there. Um, there have been a lot of fights. The kids are, you know, these are many of these kids are violent. Um, they have really troubled backgrounds, and there's fewer staff. The staff's being held over and required to work overtime, which is a big cost. So, you, again, how much are you saving when you're forcing the remaining workforce to um, log overtime? But um, one of the reasons a lot of the kids started lashing out is that these are kids that come from really bad backgrounds. Many of them, they've done some pretty terrible, they're kids, but they've been, uh, committed some pretty terrible crimes. Um, our YSOs try to build relationships with them and be their mentors. And yeah. they were walked out. Human resources walked these workers out. The kids had no advance warning. The workers had no advance warning. And so the, to these kids, it was like you, you just walked these people out. And, you know, you're trying to build a level of trust with them in terms of their rehabilitation and reintegration back into the community when they've served their time at TJTS. So now you strip those kids of the only the closest thing they have to a parent figure, and that's part of the reason they've been acting violently. Um, so you know it's the law of unintended consequences, you know, and it's really sad. So we have fights going on in that facility. Our members are being attacked by the kids, and the kids are angry because they haven't, um, you know, the, the closest thing they had to a father figure or a mother figure is uh, was walked out the door at playoffs. How about the cut, uh, cutbacks in the prisons, uh, the correction officers yep. and stuff? Yep, that? we had, uh, there was a melee in uh, Manson Youth Institute Institution two days ago. Several of our people got injured uh, because there's been st there's staff reductions there. And, um, you know, that's the problem is public safety is getting compromised, you know, in the facilities and in the community. Fewer probation officers, fewer correction officers, uh, fewer parole officers, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, what happens is you have hardened criminals um, or, you know, criminals trying to reform themselves, but they're thrown out in the community with no resources. They're going to commit crimes again. You know, I, I think one thing that really disappointed me is, uh, you know, that, I mean, they, you, you had, he had a chance to uh, legalize uh, marijuana and the uh, legalized cannabis in Connecticut. And, uh, that would have made that first year would have made over a hundred million dollars in taxes. Thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing that up. And why didn't but they act on that? He said, "No, you didn't want to go that route," you know. And that's what I'm talking about. There are all these better choices that. We, um, I mean, I personally support that bill, and yeah, um, that's a revenue. It's a revenue generator. I'm sorry. I said it's a revenue generator. That bill. Yeah. It, it, would, it would generate money. To pay down yeah. on the deficit. Yeah, instead of building another damn casino somewhere, you know, in Connecticut, um, you know that that that. It, you Questionable know. because there's so much competition. Yeah, and 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 the cost, but I mean, the cost to to to, to legalize cannabis would have been uh, tremendous. Um, mm -hmm. Research facilities. A lot everything. of money. Yeah. A lot of money would have come mm -hmm. in. Oh yeah. I mean, oh. it was yeah. the way he answered that. It was like I don't want to talk about it. I don't right. Want to no, that's exactly right. That to us. Yeah, that you're you're the leader. You're you know somebody has to be the adult in the room, and um, he's. Yeah. But that, that I'm really glad you brought that up because I think we need sort of a um, we need a real um, populist uh, push to get this that bill out because it's um it makes sense you know scientifically and medically and it makes sense financially. Well, there is a lot of support in Connecticut. I mean, it's about ready to be legalized in Massachusetts. They're, they're, it's on right. the 
right. You hit it on the head. It just, it, it, you know, it, it's the governor's attitude that I'm not going to consider this. And yeah. then, you know, a lot of conservative like, lawmakers just, you know, it, it's the pot thing. And, you know, who knows, you know. It's, it's like well, the idiot, what was it, in Indiana, I guess it was, or Illinois, who in Indiana, I think. The one with the uh, with the the gay the gay toilets the gay rights you know you can that, right. that they uh, that they can discriminate any uh, against anybody who's gay. Mhm. Mhm. I mean, it, uh, it's that you know that are that are uh, crazy, and that's what this guy's doing. You know. Um, there's no. To the people yeah. in the state. No. Nope. He's not, there's, there's no. Yeah. There's no shortage of stupidity and stubbornness. That's what he's done. He's digging his toes in. But I don't know exactly, uh, I don't understand why. Do do you know if he signed that cannabis bill for cannabis oil for children? If he signed it? If he was supposed to sign it. uh, Yeah, I had... I haven't, um, you know, that I, my guess yeah. is my guess is no, just because they haven't resolved the budget thing, so they don't tend to do a whole lot of bill signings until they get through the session. He was supposedly because there were so many kids that needed it in the state that yeah. he was about, supposedly was willing to sign. Supposedly, it. yeah, I wasn't aware of that, and um, they haven't been doing too many. Uh, I imagine they haven't been doing too many uh, signings anyway because the session's not over. Oh boy! Oh, Larry. I tell you, you're you're you're, you're, you're between a rock you. and a hard place there, man. Oh, we are, we are, and we're fighting for you guys, though. So, um, you know, let's get back together next month. We'll know how bad the budget is, and uh, yeah, and you know, I really mean it, Leo. You do not need to be. Uh, I don't mind talking about Hillary. So, uh, we should try to talk about. Oh, that. okay. Well, well, I'm feeling the burn. I have to tell you. <laughs> so many people. Listen, are. he's not he's not done yet. You know, um, oh, he's, he's not done. Yes, and, he's you know, because those. Um, those uh, delegates, uh, some of them are not, that she's counting for herself, they really, you know, they could go to Bernie. They all said they're not, a That's lot of correct. them weren't necessarily Hillary delegates, you know. So no. the Keep in mind, our, our, our union did uh, oppose the endorsement. I mean, it didn't carry, but we were one of the few unions. Our executive director um, voted against that. But, you know, in the end, uh, you know, the, the, the majority prevailed with regard to AFSCME's endorsement. But um, I think as long as Bernie stays in it, I think that's healthy and that's good. Yeah, he says a lot of things that I just love. I, I mean, I like the fact that kids would be able to go to college and not be burdened. I you like know, the that's... fact that kid, kids are just energized by his campaign. I mean, uh, oh, isn't it wonderful? Yeah, yeah I have... Yeah. It's funny, speaking about kids, I have a few young kids at school, you know, that I see, and they'll say, what do you think about the election, Mrs. Wood? What do you think? What do you think? <laughs> this one boy gave me a big sales pitch for Bernie. He was really cute. My sister's going to have to go to college, and she needs she doesn't need a lot of debt when she gets out. <laughs> Did you? Oh, by the what? way, no. Supreme Court, a Supreme Court decision that just ruled in favor of free speech for teachers, all right, uh, who uh, and public employees who yes, have been fought that, yeah. uh, over uh, over their ca- their choice of political candidates that they're supporting. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that? I did. I saw the article. I didn't. I haven't read about Isn't it. That amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you should send me a link about. I should put that out in my news clips. Yes. I, I, yeah, it's amazing because uh, you know they're, they're they're giving them the right, and uh, 
to, uh, speak. to free speak. Free speech. speech. You already have that right, but they try to take it away. That's all. Oh, absolutely. Right. Hey guys, I got to run. My my staff. Oh. Uh, we still have four more hours left, or three and a half hours left. So uh, are there four more attention. hours? Oh no. Well, keep up the good work, and we appreciate it, Larry. It's really Thanks. nice to talk with you. It really yeah, was. Yeah, it's good to be back. Okay. All right. Let's Thanks. Do this. Okay, real soon. We'll Thanks. talk next month. Good. It's a fight all right. for all of us. Yeah. We're trying. Thank you. Good night. All right. Good night. Good night. That was Larry Dorman, uh, Public Affairs Coordinator for AFSCME Council. For in Hartford, Connecticut. Yeah, it's wonderful to talk to Larry. Oh, Gilman. he's great. We haven't spoken to him for a while. He's, he's been, been so, so busy. By, but, uh, you know, Wednesday he's... Wednesday nights seem to be uh, tough. I mean, well, he's, he's got always tough. got meetings. I've seen guys out all the time. Yeah. But, you know, there's so much to do, and I'm really discouraged with that budget in Hartford. Oh, right. You know, yeah, it's, really it's really scary. It's they've really taken away all... all so, they've made so many cuts. Yeah. I mean... I, I wanted don't know. to. Uh, what I wanted to do is I wanted to mention this because this is something. These are a few things that. Uh, but he'll catch up with us next uh, month, and we'll be able to see. Yeah, what happened. I wanted to just mention to uh, see what he thought. I'm sure he, he must be thrown by it too. But the Teamsters retirees await word on deep, deep pension cuts, and uh, and uh, hmm. this, this was uh, in Detroit actually. Where well, that place is a mess. They're a mess there. But it says more than 1,300,000 13, Teamsters retirees in Michigan face cuts to their pensions as early as July. Some pension checks could be cut in half for retired truck drivers and others. My God. Thousands of Teamsters retirees anxiously await a decision this week on whether the U.S. Treasury will allow their pension checks to be cut by half or more. What right have they got to do that? And no the, tro the trouble team... Right now, Domino's has a large 599 carryout special. With a deal this amazing, we're going to need a ton of Sorry. boxes. Sorry, man. This week... This, uh, yeah, that's okay. The X set out yeah. right there. Okay. Sorry, we had an ad that came There's flying on this. Yeah, yeah, we didn't expect And we didn't even expect oh, it there. Oh, man, I lost my... Oh, we lost our Teamsters ad there. But there... I'm hoping they can... Here's another one. which has more than $16 billion in net assets, proposed a rescue plan in the fall of 2015 that's designed Get to... Get your hands on 3M ProGrade Precision right right Ultra-Flexible Sanding Sheet. The sanding no, sheet...
the rest of my life. And uh, now they tell me six years later that, no, I'm only going to have half of that. So that's, that's my primary concern is, you know, how do you afford to leave? I'm Susan Tompor with the Detroit Free Press. Mm. Right. So anyway, that that's kind of what what's going on here. It, it's uh, it's rough. It's really rough for people. Just excellent. Just, uh, it's just so that's too bad we couldn't really you know there was no, a lot of there were a lot of pop-ups you know people i i don't know if it's bothering you as much as it does me but you know the, the way that they're monetizing these these uh these websites now i mean it, it's almost impossible to read the article or to navigate through the through the through uh, all the ads you know the ads come popping at you uh, two three you can't get rid of them they're too wide they're too i mean it's just it's just a chaotic mess and uh, all the major blogs, like on my own website, I've got some, but I refuse to put pop-ups on. I will not put those things on, and, uh, and I, I refuse to that. And that's why I get three million visitors a month because my my site is easy to read. You know, and people can go through it and not get uh, blasted, you know, by it. But it's um, well anyway. I just wanted you to to, to know that. Uh, Bernie wins Missouri after all. Most people know that. Oh, no, they don't. That, that's right. This was Missouri. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he also won Nevada, by the way. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> so all of these uh, rigged deals that she had turned out not to be uh, so good. You know what I mean? It turned out to be Bernie's. All right. I'm going to pop up God miserable ad here. Although originally projected to win 36 of the 71 delegates. Pop up ad, wait a minute. How do you get rid of this miserable thing? Just exit out right there. Yeah. Uh, 36. Now then you got to go back yeah. to this. And you got to fight another pop up ad. <laughs> originally yeah. projected to win 36 Read of, fast, Lilac, of the 71 delegates. Um, after her narrow 49.6 percent over Sanders 49 by 4, it seems as with Nevada, Hillary's local delegates didn't show up at the April 7th meeting. And the result is that Bernie looks to have won Missouri. There you go. Reported delegate allocation by Missouri Democratic Party shows that 681 delegates, 51.4 percent were allocated to Bernie Sanders, and 644, 48.6 percent allocated to Hillary Clinton. What does this mean for the projections? The table below shows that if all the district level delegates show up to the up and coming conventions, Sanders should get 37 pledged delegates and Clinton would get 34. With the change in the delegate count, Clinton is now leading by 204 delegates with 1,304 delegates compared to 1,100 delegates for Sanders. This is much lower than a 250-delegate gap reported by the Associated Press. It's even lower than a 214-delegate gap reported by the Sanders campaign. This is becoming a patent. If I had to guess, the targeting of absentee and early voters produces voters who can't turn up for the second round of a caucus. 
I can't help but think of this story, Alabet from Massachusetts, that cropped up a few weeks ago, where a woman alleges her mentally disabled 53-year-old brother was bused, along with the rest of the residents of his group home, to the polls and told to vote for Hillary in exchange for McDonald's. You can listen to the CBS Boston podcast online. That's disgraceful. Isn't that something? You want to hear that? There's, there's, there's this stuff that's been happening everywhere, though. You know, New York, Massachusetts, every state is a Hillary fraud, you know, where she's managed to. Uh, Last night you may uh, have heard a caller talking about a disturbing incident at the polls yesterday. The Nightside team has done some digging. You might be shocked at what we found out. Tonight we'll give you an update and talk about the fine line between assisting a disabled voter and committing voter fraud. Do you think there should be stricter voting laws? Okay, Nightside Voter Fraud in Massachusetts. Here it is. Yeah, this is a radio program of some sort. Of. This is Dan Ray, the host of Nightside. I hope you enjoy listening to the Nightside podcasts here at the Nightside website, and I invite you to join us every Monday through Friday night from 8 to midnight live for Nightside on WBZ News Radio 1030. We opened up a can of worms on this program. And we are going to go back into that can of worms tonight. It is an example of what, in my opinion, might be voter fraud and what might be voter fraud that needs to be addressed here in Massachusetts. Uh, With me on the line uh, is a former Massachusetts judge. I have spoken with two former judges today, uh, both of whom had a very similar reaction to this story. Um, Isaac Bornstein, who was a Superior Court judge, uh, has been a friend of this program for many years, uh, and uh, and with me, and and he will probably join us, if not later tonight, perhaps later this week on this issue. Uh, but with us on the phone tonight, I am delighted to um, to welcome uh, the Honorable Dan Winslow, uh, a, uh, a judge, a District Court judge here in Massachusetts. Uh, he now is back in the private practice of law. So, Dan, welcome to Nightside. How are you? Uh, great, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for um, being available. Uh, you are someone who is very much uh, knowledgeable about uh, these sorts of issues, and I thought that it might be helpful for the audience and for you to hear the interview. It's a fairly brief interview that I did with a woman named Mary. Uh, I know who she is. She lives in Draken. Um, she had posted on uh, her page uh, a complaint. Her, just to set it up very quickly, she has a brother who's 53 years of age uh, who lives uh, in a group home in Somerville. And she contacted me yesterday and told me a story uh, that, that we're going to share again with the audience for those who haven't heard it. Uh, it appalls me, and, and we're going to analyze it. But let's just listen. This is my interview last night with Mary from Draken about her brother who she believes was coerced forced to go to the pool go to the polls yesterday with other members of this group home and group homes in Massachusetts for those who do not know are homes where adults uh, who may be uh, mentally challenged uh, live an independent life uh, they often from this group home are, are taken to work during the day they they're, they're contributing members to society uh, and they certainly have a right to vote uh, because they are um, of, of age but let me 
again, play this interview, and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll amplify it on a moment. This is my interview last night with Mary of Draken talking about her brother who was taken to vote yesterday, and she believes told how to vote yesterday. Early today, uh, I received an email uh, from someone who I know uh, through social media. Uh, her name is Mary, and uh, she sent me an email which bothered me and has bothered a lot of uh, Nightside listeners. Uh, I want to welcome Mary. Mary, I'd like to, if it's okay with you, read your email to me first and then ask you a, a couple of questions about how this could have possibly happened, okay? Sure. And do you mind if I identify the town that you live in? No, nope, not at all. Mary from Draken. Uh, and uh, we are talking. Uh, I'm going to read the uh, email in its entirety. She writes to me this morning. Uh, I am, and she uses a bad word, she's very upset. My younger brother, Mary's younger brother, lives in a group home in Somerville, Massachusetts for the mentally slash developmentally disabled. He just informed us that he and the rest of the residents are being taken to the polls to vote for Hillary. He has no idea what an election is all about, nor has he ever voted in a single election in his 53 years. He was not a registered voter until recently, when the workers who manage the house and care for the residents were told to register everyone and get them to the polls to vote for Clinton. My brother doesn't even know who Hillary is, let alone what this election is all about. I know that as an adult, he has the right to vote. But for it to go down like this is wrong. Is it even legal? First of all, Mary, thank you for having the courage to write that email. Well, thank uh, and, you for responding. <laughs> and, to call, and to call in tonight. Without identifying your brother, um, and, and even without identifying the location of the home beyond the fact that it is in the city of Somerville. Yes, um, my hometown, many, born and raised. Okay, how many how many folks does he share the home with? That's a group home. It, there's ten men living there. Ten men. And yep, and my brother is one of the higher functioning, so, and that's not very high functioning, so him and nine other men live there. And you got the phone call this morning from him? Yes. He was all uh, excited? Roughly around 8.39, and um, he... He was very excited. Um, guess what? Guess what? They're going to take us out to vote for Hillary today. They're going to take us to vote. And I'm like, Joseph, but you've never voted. He says, I, it's okay, but after we vote for Hillary, we're going out to eat. And I don't know if I should n name the restaurant. You can go right ahead. Uh, yeah, after we vote for Hillary, they're taking us out to McDonald's. I'm like, okay. And that's what he was more excited about. But he, you know, they told him this is what was going to happen after they voted for her. Well, this, this, this is an astonishing story. We talk on this program often about the potential for voter fraud, yeah. but I've never thought about voter fraud in this way. You're telling me that your brother, and you know your brother as well as anyone, yep. has, has really no understanding of what he's doing today. No, none whatsoever. None of, none, of, none of the residents of that house do. Many of them are not even verbal. Okay. At what level? At what grade level? What does... Um, he... Uh, probably... Six or a seven-year-old. Okay. And does it, many people who work in a group home they have an opportunity to work work sometimes in um, you know jobs. He's in a he's in a uh, sheltered workshop, a day program. Okay. So he is taken care of all of his. Yeah. Oh yeah. Taken. I mean, he's been in the same place for over 20 years. I know the workers. Um, I like them. I love the house. You know, he's treated well. And when I f was told this this morning, I was I was shocked. <sighs> Yeah, I can, I can certainly understand I did that. not even know that he was registered. 
Um, and when you said in, in your email that he has no idea who um, Hillary Clinton nope. is. Nope. I asked him. He says, I don't know, but we're going out to McDonald's afterwards. <laughs> with, with me is the former state treasurer, Tim Cahill. Tim, have you ever heard of anything like this? I, I haven't heard anything specific like this, but I know it happens all the time. I know it happens all the time. Not, not in this kind of particular situation where we're talking about a group home for um, mentally challenged uh, adults. Um, but in it's, it, it seems, and it seems to be more, at least in this state or in this part of the country, it seems to be more prevalent with Democrats. I think it. I know I was in Ohio a few years back when John Kerry was running, and there was rampant um, electioneering fraud going on on both sides of the aisle. So uh, it doesn't speak very highly of of the Clinton campaign, but it really, I think, what bothers me, and maybe what should bother Mary the most, is is that staff, as good as they are, they they took advantage of these yeah. kids. And, and, well, we don't know. Let, let's be clear. We don't know that the Clinton campaign was involved in this. We know that um, that Mrs. Clinton uh, or Secretary Clinton would be the beneficiary of the votes. We we, we, you have, we haven't been able to link it to the Clinton campaign, correct? Okay. I, I'd like to add something. That sure. The house is run by a private agency, but it's owned by the city. So it's owned. So the house is. The houses owned, that the agency runs are owned by the city. Are the employees city employees? Um, no, they're agency employees. Okay. But again, we don't know if this. Yeah. We have no proof or suggestion that this exactly. was orchestrated by the Clinton campaign. It could be people who just feel. How do you feel? Do you feel your brother was basically used? Of course, of course, and food is the way to get to him. Yeah. What would what would you like to say to the whoever is responsible for this tonight on behalf of your brother Mary? How how could they? I mean, uh, it just gets me so upset. It was a very stressful day, um, many tears, many ang many words of anger. Um, it, it's it's just frustrating that someone that you place in someone else's care can be used and abused that way for someone else's benefit. You know, and I'm like, is is a vote worth an it, it's an item off the dollar menu? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean <laughs> Well they're basically taking taking advantage of people who do not have the capacity to understand what is going on. Exactly. And that's There's that's the bottom line. I know you process. posted this this morning uh, on uh, on on our Facebook page, and there was tremendous response to oh it. Oh my gosh, I've been responding to uh, emails all day long, phone calls, and I didn't realize that it would get so many people pissed off. Uh, well, sorry, That's upset, okay. and I'm, okay. I'm I'm glad it did because maybe other houses will be looked into because there are many, many, many group homes all over this country. That is our interview from last night, Dan Winslow. Uh, joins us, uh, Dan. On on the surface, uh, some might be thinking election fraud. That was certainly what I was thinking originally. Uh, we spoke today with the Secretary of State's office here in Boston, uh, and um, Brian McNiff, on behalf of the Secretary of State, said Massachusetts residents are qualified to vote if they're 18 years of age, U.S. citizens, not currently incarcerated or for a felony conviction, not temporarily or permanently disqualified by law from voting because of corrupt practices in respect to elections or under guardianship which prohibits voter registration as otherwise qualified and otherwise qualified individual who's under and guardianship may still vote if the terms of the guardianship do not specifically prohibit voting. And that is the law in terms of elections as you understand it, correct? That's correct, Dan. It, uh, it's a constitutional right 
for uh, all all persons who are not otherwise disqualified to be able to vote. It's it's a fundamental right, really, in a democracy, and it's actually good to enfranchise people of, of from all walks of life, including the developmentally disabled. In fact, there's been a long history, even going back to Nazi Germany, where, where people who were developmentally disabled were excluded from the process. But there's a right way to do it. And the right way to do it, for example, there was a, a lot of people in these home situations do have service plans, <laughs> and uh, there's a way to teach people with intellectual disabilities how to vote, how to be engaged in civic engagement. There's a right way to do it. Uh, I, think, I think I'm going to stop that because it's beginning to annoy me. Yeah, I you know, mean, It's all right. Yeah, you can sure teach, a, teach a, an adult who's a seven-year-old mentality. Uh, you know the responsibility. Yeah, they're going to vote whichever way you tell them to. Come on. And if there's a happy meal into it, and it, uh, you know, to vote for Hillary, I think that that's their persuasion. Yeah, I you mean, know? really, come on. Yeah, so it's like, and the private company that owns the thing is probably a, a subsidiary of the Clinton Foundation. Yeah. Uh, you know. Who knows? A, a profit. Uh, uh, yeah. But you know, I mean, that's the second major complaint I've heard about, uh, or. In Massachusetts. in Massachusetts during the primary because Bill Clinton was in the uh, w- went went right into the polling places was campaigning uh, for into the into the registrar's uh, places and uh, and started campaigning <coughs> telling people to vote for Hillary which is a, a violation of election fraud and he went in there with the mayor of Boston he must be a complete idiot no he's just a complete machine uh, member of the machine you know and it's like you know and nothing happened. A hundred thousand people signed a petition to have him uh, arrested, all right, uh, for voter fraud and uh, and election fraud, rather, and no, and it was nothing ever happened from it. So it's like you know that's the way it is, and everything, like anything Hillary does, you know, is above the law. You know, it's like you know, God Almighty, it's it's just a, it's a frightening thing. Yeah, well. Elizabeth Warren endorsed Bernie Sanders for president, which is a good thing because that I don't think Hillary will be asking her to be his or VP, even though the the, the question came up. You know. Two. Huh? Elizabeth Warren? Yeah, Hillary I noticed that that was one of the ones that she had on her list. She she <coughs> she had, but she also talked to she Elizabeth Warren was supposed to was bossing. She endorses endorsed Yeah. Bernie. But what I'm saying is she was stopped from running by the Democratic Party for president. Yeah. All right? Uh, because they, they didn't want uh, to blow Hillary uh, away, right? But any, nobody would have, you know. So uh, with Elizabeth Warren as Bernie Sanders uh, in Dorsey, uh, then maybe she'll also be, you know, his uh, uh-huh. whatever, according, as well as president. According to a stunning new article from uh, Politicus USA, Senator Elizabeth Warren, <coughs> Democrat from Massachusetts, has privately announced that she will be endorsing Bernie Sanders for president. In a brief uh, press conference, Warren stated that she was endorsing <coughs> Sanders because it's the right thing to do. Bernie has been with me every step of the way in the fight on taking the, back con- the country back from the crooks on Wall Street. He is the real fighter for the working people in this country. The Sanders campaign plans to release a statement on this historic endorsement. Thank you, Elizabeth. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that was that happened in uh, somewhere. Uh, and then he says, also April Fools. Uh, uh, 
hoping this is not a fool. Yeah, me too. This is not a, a satire. And I, I heard this before, but this was on. Um, this was in. Uh, this was on April April first. But um, well, he's quoting Politicus USA uh, articles. Uh, we will see. But anyway, I heard that I heard this last month. Anyway, but. Um, this must be him, or else he's a, it's a oh, that's a headline, intelligent, funny apparel. Oh, no, he's just, it's a, just he, an ad. He's just a, an ad, yeah. Oh, I thought it was somebody had something to say. It says April Fool's. I, maybe that's not true. Maybe not. Oh, man. I, yeah. But it, anyway, she yeah, should. It, if she know, didn't, she should. I heard that she did, you know, and uh, I heard that she had. And I just saw this article. I didn't. I hadn't seen this article before today, even though it was um, it was it was sent to, to me by Asmi. Actually, uh, this is one of Asmi's. Yeah. Larry had sent this one to me, which I was kind of surprised. Oh, how about this one? The mythology of Trump's working class support. Yeah, that one was interesting because let's, let's, um, let's look the, at that. yeah because uh, you, no, the one below it. Please. No, I know that, but it's it's over. It's right here. I have it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's just see what this has to say. Yeah, it's just saying that uh, the, the the working class white guys are not as poor as they seem to be. Blah blah blah. But yeah, I I don't really I didn't money. really care for this article because it's not it's not real. It's just based on election polls. You know, and they're asking them questions after the primary. Uh, how much do you make? You know, what, do you, what kind well, of work do you do, see. that kind of thing. It's been that, extremely common for news accounts to portray Donald Trump's candidacy as a working-class Republican against Republican elites. There are elements of truth in this perspective. Republican voters, especially Trump supporters, are unhappy about the direction of the economy. Trump voters have lower incomes than supporters of John Kasich or Marco Rubio, and things have gone so badly for the Republican establishment that the party may be facing an existential crisis. But the definition of working class in similar terms is fuzzy, and narratives like these risk obscuring an important and perhaps counterintuitive fact about Trump voters. As compared with most Americans, Trump voters are better off. The median household income of a Trump voter so far in the primaries is about $72,000. Base dollars, uh, that's their median income, $72,000, based on estimates derived from exit polls. That's lower than the 91000 median for Kasich voters, but it's well above the national median household income of 56000 it's also higher than the median income for Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders supporters, which is around $61,000. These figures, as I mentioned, are derived from exit polls, which so far have been conducted in 23 primary states. The exit polls have asked voters to describe their 2015 family income by using one of the five broad categories, ranging from under $30,000 to $200,000 or more. It's fairly straightforward to Interpolate a median income for voters of each candidate from this data. 
Uh, Clinton voters in Wisconsin made about $63,000. You can find my estimates for each candidate in the state. Well, let's look at this table below. Statewide median incomes. Oh, Connecticut is 73000 uh, Clinton supporters, their household income is 102000 Sanders is 75000 Cruz, 101000 Kasich, 119000 and Trump, 99000 hmm. Anyway, Massachusetts is statewide 65000 Clinton's people are 87000 Sanders is 68000 Cruz, 84 Kasich, 107 and See, it's interesting that Kasich supporters made more money than any of them. Well, he's an established, he's the established Republican, right? Yeah. And but he, his his average income was considerably higher, and he's and he only and he didn't even get five percent of the vote uh, in, in all of the primaries he's been in. Well, you can imagine uh, what incomes the voters for Jeb Bush have. Not yeah, I mean, they, I, oh, they get millions, but I mean, yeah. they're they're, uh, they're they couldn't even. Get through the, because you know, people are people are pissed off and they're not voting. Anybody making under a hundred thousand dollar combined income is today is, is doesn't look like. Uh, well, they're poor. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, Tennessee is down there. Alabama. Let's see. The average in Alabama, the Clinton and and. Clinton and the uh, Sanders so, uh, people that were making 44000 uh All the others, Republicans, were up in the 50s, 60s, 75s. It's a pretty poor state. Mississippi's really they're, poor. They're at the bottom. They're 37. Uh, all states 56. Oh, all other states, I guess, are 56. Yeah. 61, 61, 91. Huh. That's fascinating. But it's really it's really interesting that uh, I mean, considering what the average income today is, um, consider well, we'll say maybe twenty years ago. Yeah. All right. I mean, I remember twenty years ago, uh, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year income was put you at the top ten percent of your uh, of the income American income bracket. Not anymore. Uh, not anymore. And. Uh, that's really interesting, though. Yeah. So, but anyway, the myth is, it's a myth. You know, I don't know what the myth is. The myth is that everybody today is is uh, feeling the burn more. Uh, one weird trait that predicts whether you're a Trump supporter. Oh. You want to hear that? Yeah. That's kind of cool. You only got two minutes. So here you go, folks. This is what the, the traits, if you're a home a Trump supporter, a Trump supporter. If I asked you what most defines Trump supporters, what would you say? They're white, they're poor, they're uneducated, you'd be wrong. In fact, Male. I found a single statistics significant variable predict... Geez. I, in fact, I found a single statistically significant variable predicts whether a voter supports Trump, and it's not race, income, or educational level, it's authoritarianism. Huh. That's right. Trump electoral strength and his staying power uh, have been buoyed a 
above all by Americans with authoritarian inclinations. And because of the prevalence of authoritarians in American electorate among Democrats as well as Republicans, it's very possible that Trump fans' base will continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, the, that's kind of a problem. My finding is the, that as a result of a national poll I conducted in the last five days of December under the auspices of University of Massachusetts, Amherst, sampling 1,800 registered voters across the country and political spectrum. Running a standard statistical analysis, I found the education, income, gender, age, ideology, and religiosity had no significant bearing on a Republican voter's preferred candidate. Only two of the variables I looked at were statistically significant. Authoritarianism followed a fear of terrorism, uh, though the former was far more significant than the other. Authoritarian is not new untested concept in the American electorate since the rise of Nazi Germany. It has been one of the most widely studied um, areas in social science. Uh, While it causes are still debated, the political behavior of authoritarians is not. Authoritarians obey. They rally to and follow strong leaders, and they respond aggressively to outsiders, especially when they feel threatened for pledging to make America great again by building a wall on the border to promising to close mosques and ban Muslims uh, in the United States. Trump is playing directly to authoritarian inclinations. And not all authoritarians are Republicans by any means. In national surveys since 1992, many authoritarians uh, have also self-identified as independents and Democrats. And in the 2008 election, Democratic primary, 2008 Democratic primary, the political scientist Mark Hetherington found that uh, authoritarianism has mattered more than income, ideology, gender, age, and education, and predicting whether voters preferred Clinton over Obama. Uh, but Hetherington uh, has also found, based on 14 years of polling, that authoritarians have steadily moved from the Democratic to the Republican Party over time. And he uh, hypothesizes that the trend can can began decades ago as Democrats embrace civil rights and gay rights, employment issues, and so on and so forth. So what what's happened is that this is a long article, but what happened is is that uh, uh, people like strong leaders and they like to follow, you know, yeah. especially if those leaders, uh, you know.
Little swagger out of here. Mm-hmm. 